0: Hello, I'm Tom Ballard, and this is What's The Story, the podcast where we discuss this month's editor's extra from Audible, a bonus bestseller that members are loving. It's like a book club, but for your ears. This month, we've been listening to the funny, charming and romantic debut from Australian author Graeme Simpson, The Rosie Project.
1: I may have found a solution to the wife problem. As with so many scientific breakthroughs, the answer was obvious in retrospect.
0: That's Don Tillman, a brilliant but socially inept professor of genetics who's decided it's time he found a wife. So Don designs The Wife Project, a 16-page scientifically valid survey to find his perfect partner. His design has to filter out the drinkers and the smokers and the late arrivers, but Rosie Jarman possesses all of those qualities. Although Don easily disqualifies her as a suitable candidate, even though she seems... Quite intelligent for a barmaid. ..he's intrigued by Rosie's own quest to identify her biological father. When Don and Rosie collaborate on the father project, an unlikely relationship develops, and Don Tillman is forced to confront the realisation that despite all his best efforts and all his hard work, falling in love is not an exact science. I had a lot of fun listening to this one. I hope you did too. I was listening to it while I was in London during an actual heatwave, an actual British heatwave that was happening, just sweltering my butt off on the muggy tube, listening to this and laughing along. Good times. Joining me on this month's show to let us know what they made of The Rosie Project are two lovely people. First up is a comedian, writer and actor who's been seen on shows like Squinters and The Project. It's Susie Youssef. Hi, Susie. Hello, Tom Ballard. What were you doing while you were listening to The Rosie Project?
2: Uh, I listen to my podcasts and audiobooks all over the place. A lot of driving, a little bit in bed. Um, did have an injury on this one, though, because I went for a walk around Annandale and uh, walked into an outdoor umbrella and then had to sit down and eat a meal <laughs> that I didn't need um, just to, to cover up that incident. Um, but it was because I was so engrossed in the book and I absolutely loved it.
0: And also with me today is an author and passionate autism advocate, Yen Perkis. Hello, Yen.
3: Hello there, Tom. Lovely to be here. How
0: about you? How did you listen to The Rosie Project? What was going on in your life?
3: I mostly listened to it at home, um, a little bit on the bus, but mostly at home, and I, I found I couldn't do much um, taking my concentration, so I basically sat on the couch and patted Mr Kitty, um, which was very pleasant. <laughs> so I had a good story and then some kitty smooching. It was, it was good.
0: <laughs> That's perfect. Welcome to you, both. Thanks for being here. Let's start with the, the whole premise that drives the story. Don Tillman wants a wife, and because he's Don Tillman, he sees the world in a certain way. He goes about trying to find a wife in a very particular way. Here he is having his bright idea.
1: A questionnaire. Such an obvious solution. A purpose-built, scientifically valid instrument incorporating current best practice to filter out the time wasters, the disorganised, the ice cream discriminators, the visual harassment complainers, the crystal gazers, the horoscope readers, the fashion obsessives, the religious fanatics, the vegans, the sports watchers, the creationists, the smokers, the scientifically illiterate, the homeopaths, leaving ideally the perfect partner or realistically a manageable shortlist of candidates.
0: Yeah, and what did you make of Don's approach to finding the perfect partner?
3: Um, it's funny um, listening to this audio book because I'm actually an autistic person myself. And so while I could see that there was a humour value to um, to what was going on here and it was quite an odd and quirky approach to finding a partner compared to how most people find a partner, I could also see that there was quite a nice logic involved and I thought it was probably quite a good approach. <laughs>
0: Hey, nothing else is working for me. May as well try this this sort of thing. Uh, Susie, did the Wife Project premise work for you? I felt so smug listening
2: to the beginning of this book. I was like, well, that will never work. Um, but I fell in <laughs> love with the book so quickly that I, I just, I loved the journey. And I, um, I mean, I'm cancelled as soon as you say time wasters. So there's no way I was a candidate for Don
0: Tillman. Oh, I know you were particularly amused by this goal that Don has for the questionnaire.
1: The underlying problem was the preoccupation with image. My questionnaire would be ruthless in filtering out women who are concerned with appearance. Why did that <laughs> tickle you in particular?
2: Um, I just love that line so much. I love the delivery of it by the narrator. I love the idea that uh, he's going to filter out anyone who has a preoccupation with image. And I was just like, OK, so the book will end in two more sentences. Like This is perfect. <laughs>
0: Search over. Search over. Did, did you feel like the, um, the, the questionnaire was doomed from the start then yet? I mean, the logic of it appealed to you, but do you think that um, from the get-go we really thought that Don was going to track down his, his wife through this very particular means of dating?
3: I, I thought it was kind of unlikely that he would find a, a suitable partner because obviously things are a bit more nuanced than um, answers on a questionnaire, but I did like the approach.
0: I really wish the world did work. That simply would be great. Mm. Did we do we enjoy the uh, the narrator's work? I thought his French accent was a little dodgy. Oh, part of the issue. I,
2: yeah the, the the accents were interesting. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> and it did take a little while for me to get. <laughs> it did take a little while for me to get used to his voice, but once I was in that space, I really loved it.
3: Yeah, I was similar. Mm. Um, I I'd only heard. Graham Simpson doing Don's voice in the past at book launch events, and so it took me probably a few chapters in before I got used to the narration. But when I did, I thought, yeah, I actually quite like that. That's um the, the it's very hard when something's in first person because the narrator has to do everything as the character. Um, but I thought it was really good.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of comedy. I think we we know um, this sort of um, particular worldview that we have uh, when the the story is told from Don's viewpoint in first person. There's a lot of fun seeing him try to make sense of the world and the illogical things that human beings do there was one bit that was played for laughs that made me groan and i'm interested in what you guys think about this that was when don went to the bar where rosie worked the marquess of queensbury and he takes a little while to figure out exactly what kind of bar it is
1: i walked to the bar the two men followed and sat on either side of me the clean shaven one was wearing a cut-off t-shirt and clearly spent time at the gym steroids could also have been involved The one with the moustache wore a leather costume and a black cap. Come on!
0: (laughs) Moustache, leather costume and black cap... That's Freddie Mercury, no? Am I being too sensitive?
2: <laughs> I didn't know you appeared in this book, Tom, so that was really funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is my life. What do we think of the character of Rosie Jarman? I mean, in a romantic comedy, sometimes you get these female characters who are really just there to show men about how, you know, how they're going wrong and are there to help them on their journey. Do you feel like Rosie Jarman was, was fleshed out in a three-dimensional character, Susie?
2: I really loved Rosie. I don't think there's ever a perfect female romantic comedy lead, leading lady, a female leading lady. It's an interesting concept. Um, but there there were things about her that I really loved. I love the specificity of the way that she acted. I love that she waltzes into Don's house, that she, you know, tips a table upside down, that she kind of bursts open the windows. She has this kind of bull in a china shop way about her and I really loved that. I loved a messy woman in a story.
3: I really liked the Rosie character. Um, I thought she was very... Um, very confident in herself, which is, you know, unusual for women in society, and I, I really liked that. And she was quite an engaging character, like she was kind of fun and and, and very strong and determined and, and I, I loved I loved when she questioned Don's approach with the questionnaire and said it was objectifying and I thought well that that's absolutely true um, but yeah most people wouldn't sort of pick up on that I don't think but I really liked her I thought she was and yeah as Susie said often in romantic comedies the the female lead is is maybe not quite so um worked out and quite so um so much an actual person, and she really was a very engaging person. I, I enjoyed her.
0: As Susie mentions, Rosie's, like, messy, right, and she doesn't meet the criteria, so Don immediately dismisses her as a potential wife and then throughout the story he keeps coming back to her and can't figure out his own illogical take on why he wants to spend more time with Rosie and We have sort of figure out he's falling in love. Her messiness is, is there and challenges his particular ordered way of seeing the world. Is is that a challenge for people who are on the autism spectrum who are trying to date, you know, like like everybody else and find love and find happiness, if they can't find partners who understand the complexity or the kind of um, conditions that come with with being with someone on the, on the spectrum? Is is that a real challenge for for people on the spectrum in the dating world?
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, often people on the autism spectrum date other people on the autism spectrum uh, because obviously we understand one another a lot better than we tend to understand non-autistic people or particularly how non-autistic people tend to not understand us and I think that's really the key is that that communication difference and it's not that we're broken or deficient it's just that we it's like a different culture we communicate differently it's like we're speaking a different language so those mismatches within intimate relationships can be a huge issue for autistic people. Mm.
0: But there's that beautiful moment when uh, the first date, which you know, goes wrong for a range of reasons, both Don's fault and, and some other factors, Rosie goes back to Don's place and she interrupts her, his entire schedule, which is very annoying, but she does this beautiful thing that um, is sort of her extending an olive branch to, to Don and his worldview and creates Rosie time.
1: Rosie interrupted again. If you were on your usual schedule, what time would it be now? 6.38pm. The clock on the oven showed 9.09pm. Rosie located the controls and started adjusting the time. I realised what she was doing. A perfect solution. When she was finished, it showed 6.38pm no recalculations required.
0: I think that's a really lovely moment, don't you Susie? Ah. That's when we see Don being not like totally inflexible and really connecting and really starting to realise that uh, Rosie's a pretty special person.
2: I totally loved this moment. I was just, um, I felt so emotional just hearing this because you get this uh, this sense that... Don is surprised by her and that he's not really surprised by other people and that not only is he surprised but he's, he's delighted by the fact that she's a misfit as well. Like, she just changes the clock. Like, she shifts time so that he feels more comfortable because she has an empathy in that moment for him and, I, yeah, it just broke my heart. I absolutely loved it.
0: Even though she's a smoker. <laughs> <laughs> Unacceptable. I'll chat more with Susie and Yen shortly, but for now, let's hear from the man behind The Rosie Project, author Graeme Simpson. Graeme was on holidays in rural France when he joined me for a chat about getting into the mind of Don Tillman. Graeme Simpson, welcome to What's the Story? Great to talk to you, Tom. Uh, let's start by talking about me, please. I appeared in one of your short films, Push Up, years and years ago. For the listener's benefit, just how powerful and moving did you find my performance?
4: Well, I mean, appeared is the wrong word. Starred is, is, is obviously it. And, and if I remember rightly, and I do remember rightly, you played um, a character who was played by, I think, three or four different actors over the course of his life. I, I, think, I think listeners should know that they can judge for themselves about your performance in Push Up, which was the name of the movie, directed by Jason Christo, because I believe it is actually up on YouTube. Oh, so they God. can search on Push Up, Tom Ballard, Jason, C H R I S T O U, and um, they can actually judge for themselves the performance.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, showbiz. All right, well, this was your debut novel, The Rosie Project. It was a massive hit, it's, it's a global bestseller. Um, have you listened to the audiobook, like we've all been doing here on
4: What's the Story, as read by Dan O'Grady? I have not listened to the whole of the audiobook, but I've listened to enough to get a great sense of what Dan did. Have you had much feedback about Dan's reading of The Rosie Project? Look, I'm just amazed by how many people are now listening to audiobooks. I've got a bunch of people I know who listen to them on the way to work or while they're doing stuff with their hands and so forth that isn't compatible with reading. My, my favourite in many ways is I've got an elderly guy. He's 104, just turned 104, and just in the last couple of years he's lost his eyesight, and he, he's probably my, my oldest fan, and he gets the very first copy of The Rosie Books when they come out because he's obviously not buying. Um, and write bananas at the moment in his life.
0: <laughs> wow, that's lovely. Of course, I, I, this is almost embarrassing. I did not even consider the benefits of audiobooks um, for people uh, you know, uh, with, with certain disabilities. I'm glad they can still share in the story of Rosie and Don. That's very nice. Tell us a little bit about Rosie. I know that she's sort of changed a lot over the course of the development of this project. Where, where did Rosie come from and how did you end up with her in a, a final form?
4: Yeah, yeah, I guess there's two ways that Rosie has changed. One is in the development of the Rosie project, what she started off as and how she ended up in the final book. But but in terms of Rosie's development as a character, the book was originally, or the screenplay, was originally the Clara project. Um, and I had a very different sort of person playing Rosie who was, we could all see she was absolutely compatible with Don. She was a nerdy Hungarian physics PhD And we thought, yep, all they need to do is to get past their, get over themselves and get together. Um, But I thought in the end it was more interesting to have someone who was a lot stronger, took it up to Don. And what was crucial to me was I didn't want to write the so-called manic pixie dream girl, who for reasons completely unfathomable is attracted to to this character Don, even though she could have any man she wants.
0: What is it, do you think, that makes Rosie fall for Don?
4: Well, Rosie's Rosie has um, a pretty negative view of men um, she she doesn't have trust in the world and in men particularly and, and Don is absolutely straight up totally reliable totally decent totally ethical and she comes to sort of to realise that there's no side about Don, he is what he is.
0: Finally, just one last question. I hear that you might be considering a cookbook based on the Don Tillman Standardised Eating System. Is that <laughs> happening? Are you writing the recipes?
4: How does that work? Oh, You've picked a good day to ask me, or a bad day to ask me. Um, we'll be, we'll be ha- we, we ate uh, chili con carne a la Don last night. We're <laughs> eating risotto a la Don tonight. The, the book Don Tillman Standardised Meal System is, is well and truly underway. It's Great. on its second edit now, and should be out in australia in in time for christmas (laughs) perfect i look forward
0: to it Graeme simpson thank you so much for your time congratulations on the rosie project and thanks for joining us on what's the story
4: great talking to you again tom
0: Now, Yen, it's great to have you here because not only are you an author yourself in your own right, you're also an advocate for people with autism, and as you mentioned, you're on the autism spectrum and you have a level of schizophrenia which is often associated with your autism diagnosis. How did you react to this audiobook, this story, from that particular perspective?
3: It was very funny because part of me could see the humour and could understand how people listening to it would be really amused by the character of Don and his inflexibility and his very scientific approach to everything and his routine. Um, But for me... Uh, It wasn't anything out of the ordinary. I could sort of see myself in a lot of what Don was experiencing, maybe to a lesser degree. But it was a very odd perspective because I'm thinking, I know that people would find this killingly funny, but for me, it's a bit like reality. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's real life. Fair enough. I mean, we, we don't actually get a specific diagnosis, so to speak. Uh, Don Tillman describes himself as being wired differently. Graeme Simpson, the author, specifically you know, avoided putting too many labels on it. He's regularly told that Don Tillman has undiagnosed Asperger's. What, what, what's your impression of Don Tillman, do you think?
3: Uh, I, I mean, I'm not a diagnostician and he is a fictional character, <laughs> but I suspect he is almost certainly on the autism spectrum, yes, Um, and and very much, quite, I won't say stereotypical, but a lot of the things that most people would associate with autism, and of course autism is broader than those just those expectations. So Dawn is more of the character that fulfils the usual expectations. Um, If you get women on the spectrum, they often have different considerations and might present quite differently, or gender-diverse people and things like that.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Can can you help clarify, what what are the differences between autism and and Asperger's?
3: Well, autism, uh, in fact, Asperger's isn't part of the diagnostic literature anymore. So there's a manual called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, and that lists all the mental health issues. And also, I mean, autism is not a mental health issue, it's a neurological issue, but it's in there and this manual got updated a few years ago and Asperger's was removed but some people still keep their Asperger's label um, and that's what they identify with but technically it is all part of the autism spectrum which is an umbrella term which includes a whole bunch of different conditions around autism and pathological demand avoidance which is a relatively new thing um, and a, a lot of other things so autism is the umbrella term and Asperger's is a little bit of specifics within that, I suppose.
0: Right. That's very interesting. Thank you. Um, A a common misconception about people on the spectrum is that they're robots who can't feel any emotion at all. And obviously this this, uh, book blows that idea out of the water. Don actually talks about his relationship with emotions.
1: Throughout my life, I have been criticised for a perceived lack of emotion, as if this were some absolute fault. Interactions with psychiatrists and psychologists, even including Claudia, Start from the premise that I should be more in touch with my emotions. What they really mean is that I should give in to them.
0: So, Yen, what did you make of Don's relationship to his emotions and how he deals with them throughout the book?
3: I thought that was a really interesting part of the character, Autistic people often have something called alexithymia, which is also known as emotion blindness. It's an inability to connect with and articulate your emotions, but it certainly doesn't mean you don't have them. And I think Don fitted that picture quite clearly, that he definitely has emotions. Um, And and the whole story with with the old woman Daphne, where he's really thoughtful and, and kind and empathetic to this old lady who's got no one else, just you know totally scotches those thoughts that autistic people have no empathy and no emotions and and it actually is far from the truth that that autistic people lack emotions and empathy we we have we do them differently we do those things differently but we don't not do them and that's that's been the thinking for many years that we we are emotionless unempathetic people and it's really unhelpful and if you could imagine that being directed at you when you have your own really deep emotional life but it's just different from what other people expect. So it's one of those things where the stereotypes can be really unhelpful and quite hurtful for people. But I think Don demonstrates a lot of emotions and a lot of empathy, but just in a different way. And I thought that was very well handled in the book. I thought um, that was a fairly subtle and nuanced bit of understanding of that character.
0: Did you have some preconceived ideas about autism blown out of the water by listening to The Rosie Project, Susie?
3: Oh, absolutely.
2: I I kept thinking the more, like, you know, I had read the book previously and then listening to it was a totally different experience again. I just kept thinking as I was listening that uh, the problem isn't with people who have autism, but in the way that we perceive emotion in general, that the way, you know, that there is a lack of empathy from the greater society in reading emotion or reading people's feelings. Um, and that I loved the way that Rosie had this kind of sensitivity and sense of humor when it came to to Don and that she would still tease him and and still kind of muck around with him and and wasn't being reverent because there is this disconnect there that you know that you have to be respectful or reverent around people who are who are different to you when you know that they're, they're feeling emotions just like you are you just can't see it um which is probably a really inarticulate way of saying it but it just it really did it it it, it kind of blew my mind um and I heard a lot of things on this um, listening of the of the text than I did when I read it.
0: And she loves Don for, for Don, right? Like he tries to change himself and fit into the the world better and try and overcome his um, complications. And Rosie sort of says, this is, this is not the Don Tillman that that I'm into. Why have you changed yourself? Yeah, totally. While we've got you Yen, if we could just quickly uh, clarify some of the myths that are out there surrounding autism and Asperger's. Uh, I'm going to whip through a list here. You let us know BS on, on these or not, in your experience. Uh, are autistic people geniuses and good at art?
3: Definitely BS. Although Yen is.
0: Yen is both a genius and good at art. So I'm just saying, just saying. <laughs> okay, good to know. Uh, people tend to grow out of autism. Nonsense. Any truth to that? Nonsense, thank you. Everyone's a little bit autistic? Oh
3: dear. (laughs) We've only got
0: 60 more, it's fine.
3: The problem with that one is that it's completely dismissive of autistic people's experience. It's basically saying, oh, we're all like that. It's one of the most invalidating things you can be told as an autistic person. And if everybody was a little bit autistic, there wouldn't be a diagnosis. It would just be called being human. Oh, drop Mike.
0: <laughs> I haven't heard this one before, but it's on the list. Autism mostly affects boys.
3: No, that's not true either. Um, that More boys are diagnosed, but that's around understanding of autism amongst the people doing the diagnosing, which needs to change. And girls and women often get missed because they might present differently to their male counterparts.
0: Autism is caused by vaccinations?
3: Ultimate BS. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good to know. And uh, all people with autism have savant skills, like Dustin Hoffman's character in Rain Man, and you're very good at counting matchsticks.
3: Idea, oh And I didn't know about the matchsticks. So I missed that one. But um, no, that one's not true either.
0: <laughs> good to know. Thank you for calling BS on those. As, as we see the world through Don's uh, eyes, we get a small sense of the challenges that people on the spectrum might face socially, particularly when it comes to sort of fitting in, like in this
1: moment. I knew that if I could not fit in in a science department of a university, I could not fit in anywhere.
0: You found that particular sentiment relatable again, is that right?
3: Absolutely. Um, I was I went to school um, you know, for however many years you go to school for, thirteen. And for most of those years I was bullied a lot. I'm only glad I wasn't going to school now because I'd be bullied at home on the internet if I was at school now. I was very gullible, very naive, very trusting, which tend to be fairly common autistic qualities, especially for young people, and I was taken advantage of and I felt completely isolated. I felt like nobody was like me. I was the only person in the world and I was desperate to fit in. I was desperate to belong and I did all these things just in order to be accepted by my peers. So when I, when I listened to that part of the, the audio book, it really resonated with me.
0: And of course, as we mentioned before, The Rosie Project is the story of someone on the spectrum trying to date and find love. And obviously, you know, lots of people on the spectrum are in loving and happy relationships all around the world. And we get an appreciation uh, for how difficult finding that person can be.
1: I knew that it happened regularly. People in books, films and TV shows do exactly what Rosie had done. But it had never happened to me. No woman had ever casually, unthinkingly, automatically written down her phone number, given it to me and said, call me. I'd temporarily been included in a culture that I considered closed to me. Although it was entirely logical that Rosie should provide me with a means of contacting her, I had an irrational feeling that when I called, Rosie would realise that she had made some kind of error.
0: What did you think of that moment, Susie?
2: Again, Graham just rips my heart out because I just relate to this so strongly, like the feeling, and it's probably a self esteem issue more than anything, but that feeling of being pranked, or or that there is a an error here, or there's been some sort of misunderstanding with someone's intentions. You know, I vividly remember a boy asking me out to dinner and thinking, "Who's put you up to this?" And it's such a horrible feeling, um, and and then to see it kind of laid out like that you know, of course this happens, you know, he's very rational, done so rational and he's thinking, of course this happens, it happens in movies, it happens in real life all the time but it doesn't happen to me so it must be a problem. I thought, gosh, Don, I hear you, bro. I'm right there with you.
0: But also I think there's a lot in this story about... Just dating and trying to find love like even if we don't design mm. a complicated questionnaire in order to find a perfect partner, we all have some pretty concrete ideas about the kind of people that we want to be with perhaps and sometimes those firm ideas probably stop us being open to relationships with with other people I think that's pretty universal
2: no? oh totally and and there's just this this idea as well of of trying to control as many factors as possible to be either more lovable or to kind of um, to damage control what people think of you, I, I completely related to that, and and I I really felt for Don, especially towards the end when you hear more about his history and why he's done all these different um, things to protect himself. Uh, yeah, I I think it's it's a it's a beautiful love story, uh, and the fact that it's um, centres around someone who is, is li- has lived life on the spectrum um, just kind of made it all the more rich for me.
0: What about the other relationship in the story, Yen? Jean and Claudia seem to be having some issues. Uh, what did you make of, uh, of their marriage, their open marriage and Jean's quest to have sex with everyone from around the world?
3: I thought that was a wonderful character to have. I thought that was really, um, from a comedy perspective, that was very funny. Um, I, I did feel for Claudia, I think, um, I, I, I suspected she didn't know quite the extent of her husband's infidelity um, even within an open marriage and I thought she'd be quite horrified if she found... Out, um, but I did think it was a wonderful comedic thing. I'd, I'd never come across somebody who wanted to have sex with, with someone from every country in the world. Quite an ambition, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: called science, Yen. Look it up. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> we hear about uh, things being rational and irrational, and logic that, that are obviously very important factors to, to Don for his particular worldview. But when it comes to love, it's not exactly at a rational or logical sequence of events. That's that's sort of at the heart of the book. Um, how, how did you navigate that, Yen? How did you You think about those um, questions of irrationality and illogic that come along with finding love?
3: Uh, See, I'm actually not, I haven't done much in in the way of romantic relationships because I'm actually aromantic and asexual, so I have very little interest, Uh which makes my life incredibly easy. It's a lovely thing because I think (laughs) when people want to find a partner and can't, that's a really difficult thing, and that's a very Um, a very soul-destroying thing to be alone when you don't want to be alone. Whereas for me, I'm alone through choice. And so when I've tried to have Mm. relationships in the past, because when I was younger, I figured everyone had to have relationships. I had no language for it being okay not to. And I've been in these relationships and I just feel completely out of my depth. I think I don't even know what I'm doing and certainly no concept of love. I do love I do have love. I love my mum, I love some of my friends, I love my cat, but I don't romantic love is something that's just kind of not part of my life. And I do see so many Mm. people on the spectrum who that's not true for and who really want a partner and it can be really difficult because they can't find one and their expectations of who they want doesn't tally up with who wants them. And it's it's a really difficult thing. And I think in terms of logic, I think romantic love is probably one of the most illogical things there is. And if you're looking for love um, on the basis of logic, it could be quite difficult.
0: Well, Susie and Yen, we are definitely not the only people who have been loving the world of Don Tillman and Rosie Jarman. There are plenty of thoughts from other listeners out there. Let's hear a few of those now. Yen, you have some thoughts from JLT. JLT.
3: Wonderful characters all round, with a beautifully self-aware protagonist. There are moments your heart breaks for Don, alongside other times you realise his assessment of people and situations is hilariously spot on. A wonderfully realised character.
0: Oh, very true. Susie, you've got some feedback from Monique.
2: Ah, uh, yeah, feedback from Monique M. Presumably, Monique Monique uh, is her is her full <laughs> name. Um. Liked this book, mostly due to the main character's mental disposition and educational opportunity, in brackets, although light, it gave me into the life of people with Asperger's. It was mostly curiosity that kept me engaged in this book rather than a rich storyline. I thought the narration was of high quality and would recommend this book to people who, A, want a male perspective on relationships, B, like a light-humoured read, and C, are curious about the vastly amazing mental spectrum of humanity.
0: (laughs) Woof. (laughs) Hello. mental spectrum of humanity. There we go. Mm. Uh, And finally, some words from an, an anonymous review entitled Jupiter's Casino Hens Night. Met a gorgeous girl out with friends on a hen's night. We chatted most of the night and had a great time. She recommended this book and I loved it. She could easily be my Rosie. Shame I didn't get her number due to being interstate. <laughs> Come on, people, we've got to get these people hooked up. If you're listening, random hen's night at Jupiter's Casino Lady and you recommended a book to someone, they want to hook up with you and we could have a love story by the What's The Story podcast. Please get in touch. Well, we'd love to know what you made of The Rosie Project too. It's easy, just head to the What's The Story Facebook group, ask us some questions and tell us what you thought. Thank you so much, Susie Youssef and Yen Perkus, for joining me for this month's instalment of What's The Story. You guys were fantastic.
2: Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you.
0: Before you go, because I'm a nosy bitch who loves drama, I want to know, (laughs) if you were designing your own partner project questionnaire, what would be three mandatory requirements for your lover, Susie Youssef?
2: First up... They have to be financially unstable. I don't want someone throwing their financial stability in my face every day. I would hate that.
3: Obviously.
2: Number two, um, they can only speak English. I don't want anyone who speaks more than one language. I get quite paranoid. My parents spoke Arabic my whole childhood. (laughs) They knew I couldn't understand it, hated it, don't want it to happen in my romantic life. Um, And thirdly, they have to obviously have a massive um, sense of humour.
0: Sense of humour, yeah. Good. Okay, great. Jed, how about you?
3: Nobody who genuinely believes in astrology, <laughs> no bigots, and nobody who says arcs instead of ask. <laughs> I've changed my
0: mind. I Entirely want that Entirely reasonable. Yeah, that's a good list too. Uh, for me, obviously, they have to be a fan of my comedy. Um, they need to not be obsessed with the gym and working out, but also be really hot. And <laughs> they need to love animals. If you have a weird thing with animals, we're not, we're not going to hang out. So... Send your uh, interest. (laughs) (laughs) If you match to any of us, get in touch with the podcast. Thanks to you for listening. Join me on the next episode of What's the Story in a couple of weeks' time when I'll reveal to you the next Editor's Extra that we'll be discussing on the show. Just a reminder of how it all works. If you're an Audible member, you'll get one credit each month to use on any audiobook of your choice. You'll also get our selected Editor's Extra, a free monthly audiobook that members are loving. If you're a newbie, just head to audible.com.au slash story to get involved and start listening. That's it for this month. We'll catch you next time. Did you love The Rosie Project, but you're not sure what to listen to next? Get one of these heart now on Audible. Don and Rosie are back in The Rosie Effect, Graeme Simpson's charming and hilarious sequel to The Rosie Project. As Don tries to get to grips with the requirements of starting a family, his unusual research style gets him into trouble. Nothing is missing from Eleanor Oliphant's carefully timetabled life. Except, sometimes, everything. Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine explores how one simple act of kindness could shatter the walls Eleanor has built around herself. Download and listen now from audible.com.au.